0: or anyone listening that maybe is itching to get more involved with the work that you're doing or sees themselves wanting to take similar steps into the space.
1: Oh man. I mean, I think it just comes down to what lights you up and to follow that. I think one of your previous guests on this podcast said follow the golden threads, you know, and that really resonated with just even if you don't see a clear path for how you can make that your life, right now by just following the things that light you up that make you really excited things can sometimes just start to fall into place when you're when you're in that space of following your passion and and then that's it's not work it's fun it's, it's a process of discovery and growth you know because you're you're just doing what comes naturally and what you're is, is intrinsically motivating <laughs> So I think it, and to just be, just to trust that process too. And sometimes it takes time and to just keep focused on what your goals are or what your, what your, what your loves are, I guess, more so than goals. Cause it's hard to like have a concrete, like, this is the thing I'm going to get, but (laughs) this is the thing I love and the thing I want to keep doing. And that may morph and change in how it actually manifests in your life throughout your lifespan. I mean, this. I'm not so attached to what I'm doing now to think this is what I'm going to be doing until I die because academia is a shifting field right now and there's less people going to college and there's less, you know, focus on that. So maybe in the future, this is going to shift into something different, you know, maybe more of the community educating. So not being too, not, not to grasp too tightly to what you this idea of what you think is the goal, (laughs) but to be open, you know, to to be holding on to what you love and following that, but to be open to what that looks like in manifestation. Because I, I would never have guessed that I would be teaching classes on psychedelics in a college, in a university when I was a grad student, you know, first starting to become interested in this.
0: And yet here I am. And it's wonderful. Hey, Curious and Serious listeners. Uh, This is your co-host, Emma. I hope you like the first snippet of today's conversation with Professor Christine Zimer. Christine is a professor at Missouri Western, and she has created two incredibly popular psychedelic and transpersonal psychology courses over the last few years. Compounding student interest has made her classes bigger and her harm reduction spread that much wider. And today we're going to talk about how she created these courses and how this kind of education equips us to safely end the war on drugs. I'm really excited to talk to her about her academic background and also get into the syllabi of her courses that range from indigenous history of psychedelics to the neurobiology of those drugs. We're also going to talk about how her A-list guest lectures help her frame such a dense amount of information into one semester. Christine is coming back onto the podcast to talk about her transpersonal class in more detail. And today we're going to be focusing on the psychedelic class. That's only because the podcast itself was so long, and throughout the conversation, it's clear that her essence and the classes truly embody the message behind our podcast, Curious to Serious. Her students are generally coming into the classes unfamiliar about these challenging topics and leaving as proper harm reductionists. Curious to is a psychedelic grads podcast where we interview students and professionals in the psychedelic space to better understand how they navigated the path from being curious about psychedelics to wanting to dedicate their careers to psychedelics. This podcast wouldn't be here without MAPS, whose support has allowed us to keep the online psychedelic grad community platform free for all members and publish these epic conversations. Become a sponsor of our podcast so that we can continue to publish and keep the platform free for all members. Back to Christine. So she wants to help other educators be harm reductionists in their respective high school, college, or community center. And that being said, she wants to connect with them through this podcast. If that educator is you or someone that you know, I highly encourage you to email her directly. Her email is in the description of the podcast. Anyways, this is a dense podcast filled with love, light, and laughs, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Check out the timestamps in the description below for a more detailed breakdown of today's interview. And without further ado, here is Christine.
1: Yeah, summer is definitely a great part of the academic cycle. (laughs) A nice like
0: reset. Yeah, and you're looking Um, forward to your birthday.
1: Yeah, I'm turning 40 in two days and I'm really excited. I'm planning to run, well, mostly walk, but run a little bit of 40 trail miles in the woods. As a, as a meditation on the changing of the life cycle, you know, on, on just uh, gratitude to my body and gratitude to the, the forest and the world and all my friends and family who support me on that journey.
0: <laughs> so,
1: yeah, that's what's that's what's going on right now. <laughs> it's amazing.
0: Well, Christine, do you want to tell us a bit about your story coming into the psychedelic space?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I I started off being really interested in psychology, you know, back in in high school and, and majored in an undergrad and then went on to go to grad school in psychology. I just was really interested in the way the human mind works and behaviors of people and, and the brain. And I was just fascinated with it. And I wanted to just keep going to school for it. So I did. And along the line in grad school, I I was getting my PhD in cognitive developmental science at the University of Iowa. I started to be uh, aware of psychedelics a bit more. I had done a study abroad in undergrad in London and had gone to Amsterdam and got to kind of feel out that scene a little bit. And, you know, if you're interested in the mind and consciousness, as a lot of people are, but especially psychology grad students... You know, it's very interesting to realize that there's these chemicals and plants that can alter your consciousness in such profound ways. So I started getting interested in that, and because I was in the academic world, I also very quickly learned about MAPS Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies and started figuring out ways to volunteer uh, with them. I went to Two conferences in 2011 and 2013 as a as a student volunteer, and just started to really dive into that psychedelic science world. So fast forward, I you know graduated with my PhD in cognitive development, started teaching at the school here in Missouri a University, and um, but I was teaching you know just the regular lifespan and psych 101 and statistics. I'm still just interested in psychedelics kind of on the side and following maps and reading books and podcasts and online classes and conferences and that sort of thing. And it came time for me after I got tenure to apply for a sabbatical. And I started really thinking about what I wanted to focus on for um, a semester off. Um, And the idea of psychedelics kept coming up. And I wanted to figure out a way that I could incorporate that into my sabbatical plan. So I ran it by a few of my colleagues just to make sure I wasn't going to just be, you know, laughed out of the room. And everybody was like, yeah, that sounds great. You know, and it was at the kind of the perfect time where um, psychedelics were making their break into mainstream culture and media. So I was able to point to look at this article in CNN, you know, <laughs> and Wall Street Journal or New York Times. And and so people were starting to be more open and aware of the mental health possibilities of psychedelics. So I wrote this proposal for a sabbatical that included getting the Zendo harm reduction training and going to Burning Man and volunteering. So I was just really proud of myself that I wrote Burning Man into a sabbatical (laughs) proposal, which got approved by the university. And the other plan was to travel around to different psychedelic research labs, and you know, just sort of shadow people or talk to people, and just go to conferences and learn as much as I could, and then come back and teach an honors course in psychedelic science. So that was approved in at the end of 2019. But then we all know that 2020 was a, a little bit of a curveball. So first, the sabbaticals all got canceled because of uh, financial issues of the university, and then. Everything shut down. you know, there was no Burning Man festival, and a lot of the stuff that I was planning to do was going to be really difficult or impossible. So I ended up not having sabbatical, but fall of 2020, because I was supposed to be on sabbatical, the university, my, my course load had an, an open spot. And there had been this class on the books when I started here called Psychology of Religious Experience. And I'd always had my eye on it and said, you know, if if we have room in the schedule, I'd like to teach that, but I'd like to change it to transpersonal psychology. And so I had gone through the curriculum proposal system years ago to change the course description from psychology of religious experience to transpersonal psychology, which incorporates religious experience, but all types of spiritual experiences and altered state experiences that are holotropic. So it finally came up that I had room in my schedule to teach this transpersonal class. And then I had already signed up to teach this psychedelic science honors class in the spring. So I got to teach this back-to-back transpersonal psychology and psychedelic science courses that I'd developed. And they really were well received by the students, by the university and by the community to the fact that I, after that year, went through the curriculum proposal system again through the, in the university to get these courses, not just as specific one-offs, but regular, regularly offered courses through the psychology department. So that's where I'm at now at the start of that journey, where I'm going to be teaching transpersonal every fall and psychedelic science every spring. And I'm just uh, really <laughs> excited that I love all the classes I teach. I even, you know, I love teaching statistics and everything else, but it's very gratifying to be able to teach and or I see it almost more as um, facilitating space for discussion because a lot of times we're we're reading stuff together, the class and I, or I'm bringing in um, guest speakers to talk about things, and it's conversation. And so, it's not that i am the expert and i'm i'm you know imparting knowledge but i'm facilitating space and bringing up topics for us all to discuss in these two classes so that's sort of the <laughs> really brief origin story of of how i ended up here teaching these classes today and i can definitely go into more detail on on the structure of both of them and the assignments and Kind of how
0: that's come along too. Yeah, totally. I think I'd love to hear that. I'm sure everyone in the audience would too. Something that piqued my interest in your lovely description of your journey into this space thus far has been community support and how people have really affirmed your interests and this journey coming into, you know, integrating psychedelics and or transpersonal transpersonal experiences kind of into a okay. curriculum how would you recommend people that were interested also in finding that type of support maybe to increase visibility and facilitate these more difficult conversations? It sounds like you did it really successfully. Do you have any words of advice about that type of process?
1: Mm, that's a great question. Um, I think it, a lot of it's just sort of gauging whoever you're talking to, where they're coming from and kind of where they're already at. Because there's a lot of people that are going to be just really receptive to it right out the gate. And then there's a lot of people who are still struggling with a lot of misinformation that's out there and fear and just uncertainty. So I think you have to approach people differently depending on, you know, who your audience is. But I think one thing for one of my assignments and i can talk about this later but for the psychedelic science class as we're starting to learn more about it a lot of times students were saying oh why don't we why don't why aren't more people talking about this why isn't this something that everybody knows and everybody uh, is exposed to so i decided for their third paper that they were going to be assigned to go out and talk to somebody about psychedelic science who they hadn't had a conversation with about psychedelics ever before And so the tools that I gave them for that, having that conversation were to, you know, they've been exposed to, they've been reading a lot of books and articles and, you know, watching Ted talks and different things. So they had a lot of, you know, science and information to use in their conversation. And so to start out, they were supposed to just ask really open-endedly what the other person had heard or if they had any experiences with psychedelics that they, you know, their friends or family or somebody had experienced or what they'd heard about them. So they're first sort of gauging where their audience is as far as the, you know, some people were like, oh, I tried that back in the sixties. And other people were like, drugs are bad. <laughs> so they got a little sense of that. And then after that, they were asked to dispel any, blatant misinformation using, you know, facts and sources that they had accumulated to say, Oh, actually MDMA doesn't put holes in your brain. That was a, you know, a couple errors with that big study that got a lot of attention it was not actually MDMA and, you know, all this stuff that they learned and and then to share some of the stuff that they thought was most interesting for the class. And so that's different things for different people. Some people were really excited about the PTSD research with MDMA. Other people were really excited about, you know, the idea of microdosing. Some people were just excited about the possibility for addiction treatment with things like ayahuasca, ibogaine. So being able to go into the conversation with you know, armed with some good (laughs) resources and and science, not just be like, this is how I feel about it, but here's some sources about what's going on and what's been found and what's coming out in the science. And then to also just, you know, let their own interests and passion kind of guide where the conversation goes. So those papers were (laughs) super fun. And I really loved that they got to talk about psychedelics with their parents, their grandparents, aunts, uncles, siblings, high school friends, co-workers. And, you know, for me, it feels a little bit like we're just spreading that those tentacles of harm reduction through education out into their own communities and and making the students comfortable being stewards of that information. Because, you know, first of all, they have to for an assignment. So I'm sort of forcing them to go out and have this maybe uncomfortable conversation, but then once they've had it once and a lot of them found out some really interesting things about the people in their lives, hopefully that just it makes it easier if they want to have those conversations again in the future. So I think you know the more that you practice getting out there and and being an advocate for education, the easier it gets.
0: Yeah, that's so amazing. It sounds like you were helping these students learn how to become better facilitators of these types of difficult conversations and learn more about themselves. But at the same time, they're actively desigmatizing these conversations by having them and you know desigmatizing for a lot of other people, especially the older generations. Like these conceptions that they had on drugs that were you know propagandized back when we were going through the D.A.R.E. program and it had much... <laughs> evidence-based research and more to do with you know like how how, the, how people can you know benefit from targeting drugs and creating some moral agenda against them mm-hmm. so it's it's definitely so interesting because and this is maybe a bit more biased in my own experience but because I've been so heavily involved in the psychedelic space and in the drug harm reduction space and in destigmatizing the types of conversations about people who use drugs and mental health. Yeah. Sometimes I realize that so many of the people, I I assume so many more people are familiar with the topics because that happens to be my community, but then when I'm not in my community and I'm having these kind of, I overhear these kind of conversations I'm like, wow, what we, whoa yeah. what? <laughs> and it's just like mind-blowing for a second I'm like oh no yes (laughs) yes
1: oh my (laughs) gosh that was the wake-up call for me the first day of class I was like who's heard of maps and they're like what are you talking about
0: (laughs) that sounds like I wish I could have taken that class and worked on that assignment too I would have had a lot of fun
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so I, I mean on the first day I was For the psychedelic class, I thought, okay, it's an honored psychedelic course. Like the people taking this are, they're already on my wavelength a little, right? They're interested in in this stuff. But I was really surprised at how how little people knew coming in. You know, there's a few people who had heard a few things about some studies, but there was just still a lot of, like you were saying, DARE program propaganda that was alive and well. And it it took a while to overcome a lot of that stigma in this class that was on psychedelics. They signed up for a class on psychedelics. And I don't know if they thought I was going to be like, psychedelics are bad and dangerous, but they seemed really surprised that, you know, we were talking about them as as a complex picture that I started off class the first day with like all of these um, famous people who have, you know, either outwardly talked about their psychedelic experience being transformative, like people like Steve jobs and whatever. But then I'm like, and also people like next slide was Charles Manson and the QAnon shaman, you know, it's like, these are non-specific amplifiers. So we're not going to just be this whole class of like, these are wonderful, great, or these are demon evil, you know, they're complex and they're going to amplify whatever's going on in your mind, in your situation. Um So yeah, it was a slow process of 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 opening up, you know, of of their minds to the possibilities of all the different things that that these drugs could be, besides just, you know, bad and addictive and dangerous. And I asked them on the first day. This was uh, my fabulous mentor, pen pal in Psychedemia, Thomas Roberts, Dr. Thomas B. Roberts at Northern Illinois University. He's been teaching a psychedelic class since around the year I was born, (laughs) 1982. So he, I got connected to him through Katie Stone and he really helped me with some suggestions as I was teaching this class the first time. And he suggested asking on the first day what type of drug education they had had in high school, what, if any, they had heard about drugs. And I was surprised, and I don't know if this is just a Midwest thing or if it's still really prevalent around the country, that it seemed very similar to the type of drug education that I had back in the eighties and nineties, you know, where it was dare officers coming in, showing you a suitcase of drugs and saying, these are all bad. Like don't touch these things. And here's a bunch of different ways you can say no. And that was it. And it really reminds me of the way sex education is run in a lot of the country too, where instead of really saying it's a complicated matter, here's the ways you can be safe. If you choose to do it, they're just say, just don't do it. Just. <laughs> Here's all, instead of a suitcase of drugs, it's slides of STDs. And so, you know, it's dangerous. Just don't even do it. And as we know, with that type of sex education, that puts people more at risk for having issues come up that they're not looking for, like pregnancy and STD. The same thing with just teaching abstinence-only drug education, because drugs are out there and we're humans are naturally inclined to alter our consciousness and explore. And so if we don't have real education about how to do that safely, how to know what, how to prepare, what kind of dose, what kind of side effects, what kind of contraindications, what kinds of combinations of different things you might be taking that could um, be problematic. And then it, then it does lead to, you know, scary experiences or dangerous experiences. And then that further stigmatizes the substances as being dangerous. So, Yeah, a big part of the class is just education and harm reduction, you know, giving them the tools to understand the complexity of of these substances and how they can be used.
0: Totally. It's like by avoiding or ignoring the biopsychosocial model of humans and like their abstinence models for drugs or for sex or for what people or society like being deviant behavior, it ends up kind of striating from, it's not just deviant behavior. Now they're deviant people and the objects themselves that are, you know, being (laughs) like distributed or used amongst that community is also deviant. And it like moralizes things that aren't, that have, that, you know, they're not. (laughs) Drugs aren't moral. Like it's, right. It's,
1: yeah. And sex either. It's just such a biological part of life. But yeah. But it
0: definitely. And I feel like what you're doing right now is equipping young people to enter the world with this like beginner's mind and understanding that there's so many intersecting fields and parts of us that are related to the behavior that we facilitate and that we observe other people facilitating that mm-hmm. it goes just, it's so far beyond like one hit and you'll be hooked. Like I, <laughs> yeah. that's what I remember from dare when yeah. I, I also had dare and it's crazy. I mean, I was born in 2000 and I, we were still teaching dare in high school. Yeah. I, I mean, my, I had, I had older like kids that were a couple of years older than me ended up being like dare officers coming to our high school. And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> that doesn't, make, and I was like, that doesn't even make any sense. Like I was so young, but I was like, that can't be real. Like yeah. <laughs> there's no way I had more. I learned more through Reddit as a kid growing up. About <laughs> <drugs>. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I just feel like it's so incredible how uh, technology has actually globalized and like brought together communities that are interested in ending the war on people who use drugs. Yeah. Cause had it not been for Reddit, I would have ended up graduating from high school and entering college and really having these per, like perceptions in mind about how drugs work and how they take control of people and how people who are under the control of drugs, like are yeah. these deviants. And like, it's, it's such a paradox because in that, in that model, there's no success and there's yeah. no one to blame except the drug itself. And it yeah. goes so, so far beyond that because of the, again, this, biopsychosocial and economic and like classist model yeah but you encouraging students to have these types of conversations will also help them gain perspective on how like sometimes we sought advice from people or we looked to hear more about something that we might be nervous about or interested in we go to these elders and they are also under that same like discriminatory and biased mindset and it's not really anyone's fault but what you're doing and what your what your projects are doing is not necessarily trying to blame a person it's trying to tend to the problem through education and saying yeah. you know bad education is how we got into this place how about <laughs> we use good education to get out of it right
1: yeah well and and also when you when you start to break out of that so, so if you've been taught dare or abstinence only and then you have an experience that goes against that, it really just undermines the authority totally, right? Because you're like, you try a little cannabis and you're like, oh, wait a minute. This is just kind of fun and relaxing like alcohol. So what's the big deal? And then it makes you think, well, what else was I lied to about, right? So if we were just honest from the beginning, there'd be so much more trust for these systems of authority than just trying to be this paternalistic protector of the young minds and really, <laughs> you know, like it's just better to build that, that honest relationship. And that's, you know, with my own kids, you know, I'm not trying to scare them away or like put these hard and fast rules. I'm trying to have build trust and conversation so that when they have questions, they can ask me and they know I'm going to give them a truthful answer. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause inevitably you're going to have an experience that breaks that that mold of, of abstinence, only drugs are bad that mm-hmm. you've been taught. And, and I think more and more so we're opening up to that with legal cannabis in more and more States. And even if you're not partaking, you are witnessing other people that you know, and love <laughs> not losing their jobs and becoming, you know, lazy stoners on the couch all day, you know, they still able to function and have successful. And so then you just start to question everything else down the line. So, Yeah. Yeah, these whole systems of and of miseducation. And that was one of the topics that comes up in the class, too, is like, well, why?
0: Yeah, I was why? about to ask.
1: Yeah. <laughs> why are they like this? And so just we get into a little bit, you know, the, the political motivations, the racial motivations for the drug laws that we have. Katie Stone, I don't know if you know her from International Psychedelic Network. She's a graduate student at CIIS. She's a rock star. She, I met her as a student volunteer for a MAPS conference, and they pair you up with roommates. So uh, we were roommates at a MAPS conference. But she came and gave a great talk on the legal landscape of psychedelics and the history of a lot of the drug laws in the country, and got into real great detail about, you know, what is the history of how we've regulated this plant cannabis or, you know, opium. Yeah. And it's, when you start to really break it down, it's not based on science, you know, it's based on fear. It's based on control. It's based on political motivations to control certain groups of people who are deemed dangerous to the fabric of society being the fabric of this very specific consumer patriarchy society, um, authoritarian society. Um, And since you can't make a particular group of people illegal, you can make the substance that they're using illegal. And so it's just been this, you know, house of cards, this, yeah. <laughs> this pyramid of lies that just keeps stacking up because once we're saying, well, they're illegal, then we have to be, there has to be a reason. So then we have to say they're, they're, they're dangerous and they're bad. And that's, you know, it's hard to even get for a long time to even get funding to do the science to show that they weren't. Mm-hmm because the science is being funded by the same organization that's saying they're bad. <laughs> so yeah.
0: I guess my my follow up to that was, you know, I've taken I've I've learned so much about these topics, but I've also taken them as different classes. How on earth were you able to manage? Like you have to walk me through the syllabus this time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just sounds like you're, you know, you're going over and beyond being able to talk not just about specific like psychedelic compounds or the war on drugs or the political motivations behind why the war on drugs still exists or how that fits into our addiction models. Like how, and mental health, like how, (laughs) how'd you do it? (laughs) Well,
1: yeah. So we to focus on the psychedelic course in particular, you know, these conversations are kind of woven through the whole class, but, so sort of week by week with the syllabus, we started off with sort of an instant introduction to like, what is a psychedelic? You know, what qualifies as psychedelic or not? Or some of these are kind of in the psychedelic family, but not like things like ketamine and MDMA, cannabis, not really classic psychedelics, but still similar effects. So we're going to talk about them, too. And we also talk about transpersonal psychology, which I'll, I'd love to just dive into that in the other class. I teach a whole semester on just that And that's really a a foundation for a lot of the models of psychedelic healing is this idea of getting us in touch with the inner healer and having these connecting experiences. And then two weeks on history of psychedelics. So we spend a week talking about indigenous cultures and ancient cultures, ancient Greece, Lucidian rites, and different indigenous cultures around the world. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a week, so... Okay, this, this includes like two class days of like heavy discussion, but also like several readings. It's a pretty reading heavy class. So they're reading the stuff outside of class, they're submitting discussion questions. And then while we're there, we're just really diving into questions and conversation. And then the second week of the history is more like 1950s to present because there's a lot to unpack there with, you know, the sort of Western realization of psychedelic mushrooms and LSD around the same time. And the first wave of research, and then the backlash and all that jazz, and then the resurgence in the uh, 90s and early 2000s. Um, then we spend a week focusing on the brain. So um, looking at, you know, some carhart harris um, entropic brain stuff, and um, just talking about uh, the default mode network and the pineal gland and just how, it, and that's really difficult because to talk about how psychedelics affect the brain generally, when you're talking about the whole group of psychedelics is really um, hard. So it's more of sort of a basic overview or like these are the parts of the brain that are affected. And then as we go through week by week with different substances, we can really focus on like how this particular substance affects the serotonin system or whatever, but yeah, getting into neurotransmitters. And, and I had the neuroscientists from our college, and a chemistry professor who's a friend of mine come and join in for the class for that so that the chemistry prof could really break down chemical structure and talk about you know how that's working and then the neuroscience um, cognitive neuroscience professor could talk more about the brain systems and how they're affected so that was really fun and then after that we go week by week with focus on specific specific substances or classes so there's a week on marijuana, a week on ketamine, a week on MDMA, and then as much as it pains me, I did group the classic psychedelics all kind of together into one week. So psilocybin, LSD, peyote, DMT were all like a one-week focus. That was a heavy week, but then we had an ayahuasca and ibogaine week, and then spring break, <laughs> which yeah. on spring break, they Extra credit assignment was to watch a psychedelic documentary because there's so many great documentaries out there. So if they wanted to spend their spring break doing a little more, they could do that and write a little summary of what they learned. And then after that, we had a week on microdosing and talking about the research on that and you know, James Fadiman stuff and the you know the recent citizen science placebo-controlled study that found that the placebos actually work very well too or just as well so that's a fun conversation and they read a little bit of islet Waldman's a really good day and then legal cultural issues we had a week on that so then we can kind of get into you know the legal landscape and um sort of the history on that too and then a week on it's called a bad trip cautions on psychedelic use so really talking about, you know and this is all like I said, we've been throughout this woven throughout the semester, but you know there are dangerous and scary experiences that can happen. So we talk about what's you know what are some of the ways that that can happen and then follow that with a week on harm reduction and peer support. And then a week on just conclusions, integration, importance of of integration and and sort of talking a little bit about future directions of the field. So it's a jam-packed, you know, 14 weeks (laughs) syllabus. And some of the people that I had this last round, I had Robert Capecchi who worked for six years with Marijuana Policy Project. He's a lawyer. He came in, well, and all these people, when I say they came, they came via Zoom because it's COVID and they're all over the country. But he came to talk to the class about marijuana policy. My good friend, Mike Adams, who's a visionary permaculture cannabis farmer out in Northern California, came and talked about the cannabis industry a bit and microdosing. Katie Stone, who I've mentioned, CIIS grad student and IPN. I think she's in charge of their like event coordination. She did the legal landscape talk. Vilmarie uh, Narlock from SSDP and the Sana collective in Chicago. She did our harm reduction talk. She's awesome as well. And then Tom B. Roberts, who I mentioned, Dr. Roberts from um, Northern Illinois, he came in for that week on the classic psychedelics and talked about his um, theory of psychedelics as mind apps to be able to hack our mind in different ways. So he's just a super interesting guy. he's one of the
0: the book, right? uh, Yeah.
1: a great book of his. (laughs) Yeah. That's his most recent book. Yep. And he's also, I didn't know this until I started kind of looking into, he's the co-founder of maps and he's involved in a lot of other big psychedelic organizations, but he also is the inventor of bicycle day. So yeah, he's the first person that's like, we should celebrate LSD and the first LSD trip.
0: Sir Hoffman.
1: So he started having a party and he made little bicycle day patches and
0: made it a thing. <laughs> was he based out, but he's not based out of Amsterdam. Wasn't he? Isn't he? I mean, he lives here in the States.
1: Yeah, he's in Illinois. It's so
0: funny. I wonder how it became such a big, I mean, it's a it's a big day in Amsterdam. Yeah. That's sure. yeah. Well, it's funny how the world communicates. We <laughs> really just globalized to celebrate everyone.
1: Right. And then I think especially back like this was back, you know, in the 80s, I think the psychedelic community was smaller and, and just more connected, you know, so they'd go to the conferences and they'd see a lot of the same people. And I'm sure we're just spread through those connections, I guess that's how I imagine it,
0: but. How awesome. And so, like, <laughs> what an incredible experience that your students have that you, you know, take the time to invite these people and like really give them a very specific view and niche insight into a very important subfield that communicates and correlates to like what the psychedelic education can look like and what psychedelics in therapy or in recreational use or in indigenous communities or in our history all look like I was wondering especially based off of the dense curriculum you just walked us through (laughs) like how do you how do you meet your students where they're at when you because you told me now that a lot of them come into this class and you're surprised that they don't Yeah. You know, they know a little bit, but they are not really like especially probably familiar with the majority of the subfields that you're going to cover. Yeah. How do you kind of work with them and encouraging them to be curious and, you know, not take to too personally how scary not knowing so much about what you're about to do in college, especially as a class. How do you kind of create that that safety and that support for them?
1: Yeah. Well, we have kind of we have a discussion on the first day of class, we're talking about something that is illegal. And this was another tip from Dr. Roberts, too, that kind of a disclaimer in the beginning that don't if you don't feel safe talking about personal experience, but you want to share something from personal experience, a really good way to do that is to say, I have a friend who told me that when they took mushrooms, they, you know, saw this white rabbit that went down a hole or whatever, you know? So as far as just the safety with regarding conversations that could be pretty vulnerable and even not safe to have in certain contexts and communities, but also just, you know, to ease them into this n- new knowledge for a lot of them, I tried to just select a lot of readings that were fairly accessible. So not too like really heavy research dense. There were a few of those, but then really breaking them down in the discussion. But there's a lot of great writing that's out there that is written for a general audience to, to ease them in. And so the one book that they read in entirety was Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind. And I, I find that is just, if you don't, if you're going into this, not knowing much about it, it's a really great thorough introduction to, um, to psychedelic science and mental health. So I think that helps having that constant voice (laughs) throughout the semester, they're reading sections of that, but yeah, the, the book I mentioned, Islet Wallman's really good day is another really good intro that covers a lot of, um, important topics with regard to legality and, the fear and the misinformation and yeah, Stan Groff has got a lot of really great stuff too. Sometimes it's but trying to find chapters that are at an accessible level for somebody who's just coming into this is sometimes challenging, you know, he's just such a wealth of knowledge and he can get so deep with it, but there's yeah, a lot of great. And I think having um, varied sources. So like a lot of different authors that they're reading helps to just solidify the message that it's not just, this is not just somebody's idea, but lots of different people's perspectives and ideas that all coalesce into this, this movement that we're, that we're having here with psychedelics. So, yeah, I guess, I don't know if that totally answers your question, but just trying to create a safe place for discussion And the other thing that I had students do was they each chose a topic when we looked at the syllabus, the first week of class, two, it was two or three people per week were going to be the discussion leaders for that week. So they got to pick what topic and it worked out really well that there seemed to be pretty evenly spread interest in all the different topics. And there, a lot of them didn't really know much about it, you know, coming in, but, oh, maybe I've heard of this, you know, so I'll do that week or whatever. And so that, again, trying to get them comfortable having these conversations, but that also prompted them to go really thorough into their week because they were going to have to be the one that's leading the discussion for the day. So maybe that helps too, just to give them all their little part of the puzzle so that we're all working together. I really like to have a class that's more collaborative than you know, one person in front, just talking at the people. So it is, you know, heavily discussion based class. There's no exams. It's just, you write papers, you turn in discussion questions every day, you lead discussion.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like you created an excellent experience for your students. And I think my follow-up question, and this could relate to either class, the one on the holotropic breathwork or transpersonal psychology or the one on psychedelics, what has been your favorite experience as you were becoming more serious about the psychedelic space and becoming an educator in the field or in the field of integrative like therapy like what has been your your favorite part so far
1: oh that's tough there's so much good stuff mm-hmm
0: as <laughs> if that's easy <laughs>
1: Yeah. so I don't I don't know I so I taught transpersonal first and after I taught that I was like I don't even know I, I I was more excited about psychedelics going into it but after I taught the transpersonal class I thought this is really where it's at this is psychedelics is just a little piece of it but this is like the real meat and potatoes of like what makes life good um and so I think I was really pleasantly surprised by how much I liked that class and then I taught the psychedelic class and I was like, oh no, this is super cool too. Cause you get to really, like dive in on that particular topic and, but the transpersonal, maybe this is a good segue into that. Um, you know, I, I sort of loosely basing it off the psychology religion class. And then I kind of just scrapped that all and just started from scratch and I wrote the syllabus and just, and it's, and I've taught it twice now. So it's changed a little bit, but starting off with talking about, you know, what does transpersonal mean? Because we ended ended up listing the class on the, on the catalog as transpersonal slash spiritual psychology, because a lot of people hadn't really heard the term transpersonal and don't really understand. I had somebody ask, well, is that like transgender psychology? It's like, no, (laughs) but that, you know, like there's just that word's not in the lexicon as often as those of us in this circle might think it is. Um, So trying to explain it as transpersonal psychology are the experiences that go beyond the default uh, normal sense of self. So trans is beyond or a bridge. Personal is the self or ego. So they're experiences that go kind of outside our normal realm of consciousness. They can be connecting experiences. And by that, I mean, connecting you to yourself and your body, connecting you to other people, connecting you to the divine, connecting you to nature, connecting you to a community and they have potential to be uniquely healing. So sort of breaking that down and looking at, you know, the journal of transpersonal psychology and the, and the history of how that came to be in the second week where, you know, really at the start of the field of psychology, which is like around the late 1800s, early 1900s, it's a fairly new field that grew out of philosophy. William James, who's the, you know, father of psychology, wrote the first psychology textbook. Two years later, he also wrote a textbook called The Varieties of Religious Experience. And he was really interested in these altered states of consciousness and took nitrous oxide to figure out how we can map these other realms. But then I think as psychology was trying to establish itself as a hard science, uh, they really moved away from the spiritual. And understandably so because it's really difficult to measure and objectify and define so there was a really push away from that with behaviorist cognitive psychology and then through the humanistic psychology movement we started to see more of a focus on holistic health and human potential and then out of that you know Maslow being you know one of the main characters of that moving into this new wave of transpersonal psychology and saying, well, there's something beyond self-actualization. It's self-transcendence. And Maslow actually added that to his pyramid later in life, but it's not really taught so much in the Psych 101 textbooks, which, as you said, they're still on this biopsychosocial approach. What we're trying to talk about in transpersonal psychology is a biopsychosocial spiritual approach. The idea that To be a a whole human being, yes, we're biology and we're mind and we're we're society, but we also have something more. And that's why so many people, potentially why so many people are feeling depressed and anxious and it's we're just so disconnected or disconnected from a sense of meaning in our lives and disconnected from each other and disconnected from our bodies. So yeah, the transpersonal is, is really digging into how do we find that and what are the different ways we can experience that. So we talk about, you know, history, cross-cultural roots, indigenous cultures and shamanism and all that. We talk about the brain again. We do a lot of talking about, you know, the brain states. So alpha, beta, gamma, delta. And I have this cool little neurofeedback device where they put on this headset and it reads their alpha, beta waves so that they are concentrating the little fan will blow this ball up into the air and it levitates and then they relax, they can get it to go down. So I have a few students try it. And just, it's really fun to see like, well, what do I have to think about to like get my brain into, you know, the alpha state instead of the beta state. And and then we do talk a bit about, you know, religion and, and history there too, a bit about how, how the heck you measures things like spiritual experiences
0: Yep, that's a Uh, tough one. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, So, you know, mystical experience questionnaire and all these different questionnaires, but then also just qualitative interviews and subjective. You have to dig through a lot of that subjective stuff to really get to that. And then, yeah, then we go through different types of experiences. So we spend a week on psychedelics or entheogens. We kind of refer to them more because we're talking about connection to divine in this class. We talk about birth, death, lucid dreaming. And that was a great discussion. I had a, a birth doula and a death doula join the class for a discussion. Wow! And it was just so fun to talk about like similarities, like in the experience, but also how the culture views it and how it's been medicalized and how there's potential for like these transcendent moments. That was really juicy. <laughs> we spent a week on meditation, breathwork, yoga, these intentional practices. And we had a different day. Like one day I had a yoga instructor come in and we just pushed all the tables aside and we had mats and we did a whole yoga class. One day we did a whole meditation class. One day we did a whole breathwork class. I had some people from my ecstatic dance group come in and, and talk about ecstatic dance. And this semester we even um, did a little exercising class where we, you know, we talked about what ecstatic dance is. We did this body acceptance meditation. And they said, all right, we're gonna close the door, we're gonna turn off the lights. Everybody's going to close their eyes and promise to keep their eyes closed. We're going to put on this music, this really good dance music. And I just want you to move in whatever way your body feels good. And so we are trying to give them a little taste of ecstatic dance in the classroom, which is a fun way to start the day. And we have uh, a friend who's uh, an ecstatic sex coach come and talk about ecstatic sex, which is really a fun topic for, for the college classroom too. <laughs> And uh, a couple awesome women who do embodiment coaching and embodiment ecstasy come and talk about that too and do some exercises. So it's just such a full and juicy experience. And it, it just shows that there's just so many different doorways. And I'm just, we're just looking at all these different tools. Oh, I forgot during the indigenous culture, we learned about shamanic drumming and partner up with the percussion department and go over there and set up a drum circle. And he's really cool. The percussion department uh, leader, the chair, Dr. Knight, he talks about, you know, how music can be transcendent and he teaches us all some basic rhythms. And then we, we drum together and we get into these patterns where like half people are doing one rhythm, half are doing another. And we just hold that for 10 minutes. You know, nobody's talking. We're just drumming just to give them different, tastes of like different ways that you can access these altered experiences and that doesn't have to be drugs you know there's just so many ways there's so many ways to to get to the the same kind of the same kind of place and and psychedelics are one doorway and they're getting a lot of attention because you know to study something scientifically it's nice to be able to like really control it and that's that is you know, benefit of psychedelics is that you can just be like, oh, you want to have a mystical experience here, take this. (laughs) But otherwise these naturally occurring ones are a little harder to pin down. Um, But yeah, I think And next semester we're going to add a nature day. We're going to go walk in the woods too. And I'm excited because I was like, yeah, of course, why haven't we been doing that too? So yeah, lots of, lots of good stuff. My dad came the first time I taught it because he's trained in Tai Chi and he did a Tai Chi demonstration and talked about how that can be a spiritual practice too. So you asked what my favorite thing is and I, <laughs> I gave you a long answer, but I mean, my favorite thing is just the experience of, you know, being able to learn about this and talk about this and open people's minds to the different possibilities that we have for accessing this, this healing connective state. Whew.
0: <laughs> yeah, take a deep breath. Clearly, you're really on your path, and you're finding so much alignment in every experience you've had thus far. It's almost difficult for you to discern between which one could be better than the others, which is understandable.
1: <laughs> it's a good place to be.
0: <laughs> yeah. Where do you think your next steps might take you?
1: Ooh. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to continuing this journey by continuing to develop these classes and, you know, each time you teach a class, you get, it gets better. So they already started off really super fun. And, and I think they're just going to keep getting juicier, making connections with the wonderful people who come in and, and spend their time joining us as guest speakers. I went to the horizons conference and I was just, you know, really excited to just kind of see if I could pass my card out to a few people and be like, Hey, I'm teaching this class. Maybe I can can come zoom in. So just making more connections, people who would be interested in sharing with us too, I think would be really cool. I'd like to extend the education beyond just college too, out into the community, maybe even the high schools. I would love to design a, like a high school level course, maybe not a whole semester, but something that, if the high schools were open to it, you know, some real drug education um, that would be available for students, maybe even just like an online class or something that they could take. I'm interested in potentially putting together some kind of textbook for, for psychedelic science and also for the transpersonal psychology class, just because we're pulling from so many different sources and readings. It would be great if I could have like an edited volume and, and, ask specific authors to contribute a chapter on the different things that I wanted to cover in the syllabus and have everything in one space. Although the sort of piecemeal way it is now makes it really flexible and open since it is a very rapidly changing field. It's sort of nice to be able to change it semester by semester with what's going on. But another really cool thing that's come out of teaching these classes and being an active advocate of this material on social media is that people have been starting to come to me in the community with questions about psychedelics. So, you know, messaging me or approaching me in person to say, you know, I've heard about, you know, such and such a thing. And what, you know, how, what would you recommend is like a resource if I want to read about it or what are some things that I should be careful about? Or, and so it's, opened up a lot of really cool opportunities to have conversations about preparation and dose and integration and, and share resources like Arrowhead and Dance Safe and drug testing kits and trip sitting, you know, and for people, it could, because it's becoming more of a mainstream accepted thing and more people are being curious about it who maybe weren't before. And so being able to be seen in my community as somebody who People feel safe coming to ask about that stuff. So thinking about how that can grow as well. I know there's lots of psychedelic communities. There's not quite one here in the little city that I'm at, but building that safe space for people to have these discussions outside of paying for a college course, which is a good starting point. But I think these conversations need to be happening more broadly and increasing access to spaces where we can have these conversations and share information and resources and knowledge. So that is a kind of a future goal or focus, I guess, for
0: me. Wow. I mean, it sounds like you really are embodying the meaning of being like a lifelong harm reductionist. In a way. <laughs> because you're doing so much already for your kids with the um, how much your class and the projects that you're, you know, giving them, but you're really actually enveloping so many interpersonal skills for them to add to their mm-hmm. own toolbox and become little harm reductionist, not little, the harm <laughs> world too. And yeah. also to people outside of the college community and overcome a lot of the barriers to entry in education as well, by going just beyond paying for a course. Like it will really help just like we were already discussing changing the language and the preconceived notions about drugs that were given to us by bad education through Mm -hmm. good education and making education more accessible than just within the confines of your school.
1: Yeah. It sounds
0: like your next step is just really... (laughs) global, <laughs> globalizing a community of harm reductionalists. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm.
0: I guess my last question, I think we discussed on our break that we'll be probably meeting again to dig more deeply into your transpersonal insight class. But I was wondering what what's been your favorite Book, just because we touched on it briefly and I didn't want anyone listening to go who should I start with if I was interested before I get on the next podcast
1: oh man so for the transpersonal mm-hmm. that's a tough one there's so many different sources that we pulled from and there it was pretty heavy on Sandgroff because he's one of the founding fathers of the transpersonal psychology movement and he's written so much about
0: it. Uh, so I think,
1: you know, graph is a really good place to start. There are a couple of textbooks. But this, the, there's a textbook of transpersonal psychiatry and psychology, which gives a kind of brief intro into a lot of the different ideas that we go into. And it's pretty accessible. So we read some from that. That's edited by Bruce Scotton, Alan Chinin, and John Batista, And then if you want to get really deep into sort of the philosophy and psychology of transpersonal psychology, there's also the Wiley Blackwell Handbook of Transpersonal Psychology by Friedman and Hartless. So those are, I use those as kind of resources for designing the class. Um, But I found that a lot of the, the readings came from other sources. There's a book I got from the MAPS website. I don't have it here with me, so I don't know the authors offhand, but it's, oh, it's it's an edited volume of a bunch of different chapters by different women. It's Psychedelic Mysteries of the Feminine. That is a really great chapter in Ecstatic Birth. And I think we read a couple of things from there. Off the top of my head. I would say yeah, Graph is a good place to start <laughs> for that. And- I'm glad
0: I asked you this then because then when we come back and do the um, and do the conversation about the class, we'll get dig more deeply into that.
1: Yes. If I'm at um, home, I'll have my whole library of all my books and I can-
0: amazing. It'll be wow. a great backdrop for what <laughs> no one else on this podcast will get to hear- see except <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it was such a pleasure speaking with you.
1: Oh my gosh. It really? was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I would love to come chat more anytime. Absolutely.
0: And I wish you a happy and blissful birthday celebration and a great run through the forest.
1: (laughs) Thanks. Send me strength if you think about me Saturday. Do I want to share any like contact info or anything too? Yeah. How could people contact you? Probably the best way is through my email, which is C-Z-I-E-M-E-R, C-Z-I-E-M-E-R, at missouriwestern.edu. But you could also find me on Facebook, and my alias is Mooncat. So on Facebook, I'm Christine Julia Mooncat. And I love connecting with people on there too. So
0: <laughs> but I'll bump the Facebook in the description. Yeah.
1: My alter ego, Mooncat. I'm a fire performer too. So that's, you know, I like my alter ego. <laughs> yeah, I'm especially would love to, if anybody else is teaching classes like this or is interested in, I would love, love, love to start a network of people who are teaching specifically undergrad, but graduate level to classes on psychedelics and, and transpersonal psych. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a few people that have, I've contacted or have contacted me, but I have this dream of maybe at the next map psychedelic science, 2023 in Denver, having maybe a lunch or a panel or something. That's just a bunch of us who are teaching classes like this sitting down and brainstorming together and swapping syllabi and nerding out, I think that would be super cool. So that's just a shout out. If anybody knows anybody or is interested in that, connect with me and let's make something like that happen.
0: I would love it. Thank you all for listening. If you liked our podcast and you'd like to connect with like-minded spirits, jump on over to the psychedelic grad community. If you're looking for psychedelic studies, field announcements, job openings, and community monthly meetings, you can sign up for the Psychedelic Grad Newsletter with a link in the description. If you liked what you heard on today's podcast, please leave us a five-star review. I hope to see you back here for our next episode.